This is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the Library and Archives collections. Although the United States didn't enter into World War II until after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, many Kansans were ready to step up to serve their country. Men and women served in every branch of the military. From the desert of Africa to Europe to the Pacific Isles and the shores of the U.S., Kansans achieved honor at all levels and participated in some of the most horrific and memorable battles in the war. William Seitz, Jr. was born in Allen County in 1923. In spite of wanting him to stay home on the farm, his parents eventually signed the paperwork allowing him to enlist. He joined the Army Air Corps a little over a week before the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. After attending radio training, he heard the military had eased up requirements for pilot training, and he signed up. By February 1943, he graduated, his brother pinning his wings on his uniform during the ceremony. Sites flew bombing missions out of Hergola, Tunisia, just across the Mediterranean Sea from Italy. He flew several bombing missions to Foggia, Italy, before he rejoined his crew. I know the day was November the 2nd. We took off in the bomb we didn't start again. This is 1943. And this is the first mission the, Air, the 15th Air Force flew. What were you bombing? Wiener Neustadt. It's an aircraft factory right southeast of Vienna. This time we, I, I don't know, I was flying number four. I know where I was flying on the, in, the, in our squadron. And Jeffries was on my left wing and we got up and we come in on the target, and I can, I got shot up pretty much. I can remember. Well, uh, Jeffries was off my left wing, and I can still see him. Then he got a direct hit, and he just blew up. And, you know, and the, there was nothing you might say left the airplane. Just it was just gone. And then this ME one hundred nine, he come in and he hit. He put a twenty millimeter in number two engine in the accessory section. Had had couple in the in the waist in the waist area, and it it uh, wounded both of the waist gunners. And then there was two two or more twenty millimeters hit the right rudder and and uh, of my airplane and vertical stabilizer. Now the the one waist gunner it shot one control one side. Of my elevator cables out, and and Summer Hayes, that one waist gunner, he quickly uh, took his heated suit cord off and spliced the and tied that elevator up, that elevator cable up. Then he took care of the other waist gunner that was wounded. He had uh, he had a fractured jaw from from shrapnel. Then we, we landed, then we come back. Oh, we had, as we was coming off the targets, we'd have probably got shot down, but about that time, the P-38's escort picked us up. And that's, that's probably all that saved me, or otherwise I'd have been shot down. Because that ME-109 was, he was in there close enough that he couldn't miss. He was, I could see him just like he practically across the room from me. It didn't knock this number two engine clear out, but it, it knocked it to where I wasn't getting any ramjet air into it at all. It was only pulling about eight inches of mercury, I think. It, because they had a hole in the accessory section in the intercooler that was, oh, 
about six inches across at least. When he hit that, there was another in uh, 7.9, I suppose it was, hit the glass, right, or plexiglass, right above my head, and it just went bang, and I can remember just as well as not. Pushing the throttle forward, reaching up on my head and, and with my hand to see if, and looking at it to see if there's any blood on it. In the spring of 1944, Seitz finished his tour of duty and went home. He was only there 30 days before he decided to enlist for a second tour. I was assigned to the same bomb group in the same squadron that I left. That was which bomber's squadron? 344, 344. squadron, and, and uh, the 98th group. Anyway, the man, when I got back to that group, I didn't know anybody much in the officer section of the squadron, but man, when I went to the enlisted men's side, I knew all the crew chiefs and, and everything, and it was like old home week. It was really great to see those got fellas again. I flew... Uh, 40 missions on the second tour. I got 200 combat hours. I had 300 combat hours in the, in the, or a little over 305 on the first tour, I think, and 200 on the second tour. Less than three months prior to VE Day, America fought one of the fiercest battles in the South Pacific in its push to end the war with Japan. On a tiny island about 650 miles south of Japan, called Iwo Jima, 70,000 soldiers fought 21,000 Japanese in a battle to overtake the island. But the cost was high. Nearly 28,000 men were wounded. Over 6,800 died. Victor McAtee of Lyons, Kansas, was one of the first Marines who landed on Iwo Jima February 19, 1945. We never received any fire, hardly any, on the beach till we got in probably 200 yards. And their strategy, I guess, was to lay off and let everybody, and then raise thunder with everybody on the beach, which we made it across the island. We were supposed to cut the, cut the north end from the south end off. And uh, we made it across probably in about four hours. And we decided uh, that the next day we would bring our, our wounded back to the beach to get them evacuated. When we got back over the hill, about halfway back, it was kind of a high. You could see down the beach. There was complete devastation on that beach. We had landing craft sunk out in the water uh, on the beach. Uh, tanks were high-centered in the volcanic ash that couldn't get on up the beach, and they was they had crippled them where they couldn't move. There was just literally hundreds of dead people. On the, back on the beach. We had lost our share but not to the magnitude that they had taken it on the beach. So in one respect we were lucky we were the first wave to get in that far. But uh, we were, uh, I was at the base of Mount Sarabachi when they raised the flag about four days later on the 23rd and uh, observed that. McAtee was involved in evacuating the wounded and getting them to safety. Our company commander wanted to evacuate our wounded we had at the north end. And there was a long ravine, uh, probably a quarter mile long, that went back south. And he told me that they were bringing in a bunch of stretcher teams to evacuate our... And they had uh, put a ceasefire on. 
and uh, asked me if I'd go back and lead that stretcher team in. And I said I would at his request. <laughs> and uh, I did go back and brought him in. And we loaded all the uh, wounded that we had and evacuated them out through that ravine and onto the jeeps. And I came back. On, on the way back, I realized that I had lost my 45, and that's what I had been carrying because I had a shoulder 45. But then I had unstrapped it when I got in the foxhole that night, and I neglected to hook it back when I got up to leave. And so, therefore, the last 300 yards coming back was without a weapon or anything, <laughs> and I was hot putting it pretty good to get back to that, my foxhole. But uh, those. I had so many, many close calls that I can't even relate to you the truth about them. I had bullet holes in my pants legs and coat sleeves and shells that had gone up, off. I had moved from one foxhole to another and it seemed like I'd leave that one foxhole and the shell had landed in that one I'd been in. And uh, that happened three or four times that one day and I thought, I'm just not going to make it. They're, they're coming too close. They eventually gave us uh, uh, orders to evacuate, and they was going to, and so we marched back. When we came over that hill, I had never been back as far as the, where they had been burying our dead. And we had uh, 7,000 graves, the little white crosses, and they had their names on them. And they had them uh, buried in our company order so we could find them. We marched through the cemetery and several of those fellows I had carried and put on stretchers and treated them with uh, sulfonilamide. I thought they'd make it, but it's just the fact they were just too many for the hospital and the nurses back there to take care of when you throw 7,000 people at a makeshift hospital over the period of the few days that they had. It's a wonder any of them lived over. McAtee and Seitz returned home to Kansas where each married and raised a family, but both men are still haunted by their experiences. William Seitz says to this day he flies missions in his sleep, and McAtee... As we got on that ship and I come to the top side and they started backing that ship away to take us back to Hawaii, it was probably the saddest moment of my life. And I look back and and uh, think about it, and think about all the people that I'd left there, we had left there. And uh, it's something that you never, never forget. These are just two stories of Kansas veterans gathered for the Kansas Veterans of World War II Oral History Grant Project, funded by the Kansas State Legislature in 2005.